Hello, my name is Benjamin Reitzamer, and you're listening to the CTO Coffee Podcast. Each episode features a new and special guest with whom I have a relaxed chat about all kinds of different aspects of humans and tech. And today I'm talking to Jessica Green. Jessica is currently a backend developer for Ecosia, the search engine that plants trees. And if that isn't interesting enough already, Jessica has a very varied, fascinating journey to tell us about. She started out as a camera assistant before becoming a coffee pro, serving, brewing, roasting coffee, the full package. After having done that for a while, Jessica moved into software development by way of online courses and immersing herself into programming communities such as PyLadies. So, and welcome, Jessica. So great to have you. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me to join you today. Um, yeah, great intro. Thanks so much. Uh, I don't really have much to add to it. I think you covered it really well. I think um, as a career changer, getting into tech, it's always comes to mind to mention those previous careers. And I think also as you, we're talking about coffee today, it's obviously very relevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like we, we get to know each other like via Twitter, um, funny enough. Um, I just, just a few weeks ago, I started like a yeah small shout out um, asking for, for people who would be interested in having a geeky coffee chat um, to finally touch on the name um, of the podcast a, a little bit or on, let's say, on the second half of the name a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, you showed up and um, I'm very, very happy to to geek out with you about coffee, but probably also a bit about tech. So why not then? So again, perfect um, combination you got there and um, perfect guest for this episode. Thank you again. So, um, yeah. Maybe let's start a little bit um, easy. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And of course, I picked out the wrong question. So when we talked about, um, yeah, when we talked before this episode, we said it would be great to geek, geek out about coffee. We got that already. So, um, yeah. What is your like geekiest coffee moment um, or like what's your like geekiest coffee knowledge bit about coffee? Yeah, I think this is a great question um, because there are so many aspects of coffee you can geek out to. So like there's no way I can give you a single answer to this. Um, but instead, I'll just pick a few of like my favorites. Um, like, first of all, I think the first touch point for most people, um, maybe getting into coffee brewing and they want to brew at home. And if you go into a speciality or a third way cafe shop, you'll see them using all sorts of fancy looking equipment and like different glass vessels and measuring temperature and weighing everything. Um, and I think like this is a rabbit hole in itself, just to brew yeah. yourself a cup of coffee at home, um, where you can get into debates of like, which is the best bottled water that you can buy in your local supermarket? Um, should you start using a filter or adding Uh, chemicals to your water to essentially even out the taste. Um, roasting itself also has lots of geekery and the roasting process is one of my favorite things to kind of look into and dig into. There's still so many unknown things about coffee and its chemical compounds uh, that there's just so much research still being done in this area. Um, so then there's also 
the history and the culture of coffee that you can also geek out to um, looking at how coffee actually traveled around the world and the different places where it's grown, the different elevations, all of the processing techniques. And there's lots of amazing coffee producers experimenting with different types of uh, coffee um, processing, which has a huge effect on the taste in the final. Yeah. 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 That's like always my, maybe not favorite, but one of the things that that I found over time that, yeah, I like a very special region and the special, like, maybe not special, but a specific kind of processing, like I like natural processed beans from Africa a lot. Um, so I don't, that that's, that's amazing. So, um, yeah. So maybe to turn that into a question, like what is, what is your favorite beans right now? I mean, you probably, that changed a lot over time. So not like your all time, but like, what is, what is, Ab the yeah, sorry. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, it is a hard question to answer because coffee is a seasonal product and even, uh, some coffee that may come from the same region, uh, one year to a next or one season to a next may taste different. Um, and as we just mentioned, the way that it's processed has a huge effect effect on the final cup also, not to mention how it's roasted and how you choose to brew it. Um, so <laughs> it's a fairly complex process. Um, I particularly like coffees, I would say, from Ethiopia. Um, Ethiopia being where we feel like coffee originated from. Um, and I think that's also down to the fact that I actually had the opportunity to go to Ethiopia and meet coffee producers there, um, which was an amazing experience to be able to connect with coffee in that way, um, and particularly with the people uh, that work in coffee. So yeah, I'm normally always down for some sort of Ethiopian um, washed or now and again i like a natural process they're a bit more funky uh, they're the ones <laughs> that like can either have you tasting garbage or tasting strawberries depending on your palate <laughs> yeah interesting yeah um now that you mentioned that you went to ethiopia um to to visit um coffee farmers coffee growers i don't know the correct term um, so um and yeah when again when we talked earlier um before this episode um you mentioned and also you mentioned earlier like the interesting aspects geeky aspect about coffees like the stories around the rituals around coffee so um i imagine like the the coffee farmers they they probably have very different rituals than than we do here in yeah let's say western europe yeah i mean this very much depends on the origin of which country of course we're um we'll be talking about so I think um, in some places it might seem very different to how we consume, but I mean, in other places, maybe like Brazil or like Central or South America, like they're consuming it in a fairly similar way. One of the rituals that I got to experience in Ethiopia was the coffee ceremony, um, which you maybe can also experience here in Germany in an Ethiopian restaurant. I've been to a great one in Berlin, actually, um, where the coffee would be roasted in a pan on an open flame. Of course, inside a restaurant, that's done a little bit more safely. Uh, but then they brew it in a pot, like so the grounds are just in the pot uh, with the water. So it's quite a strong, thick uh, brew. Um, and this, I think, is like something quite special. They normally serve it with popcorn as well. 
uh, which is like a really interesting, but actually really great uh, complimentary snack. And as I mentioned, Ethiopian coffees often have like quite fruity, particularly because they in Ethiopia, they would do a lot of uh, the natural processing where the coffee bean is dried with the coffee cherry, like the fruit and the pulp still on it. So it absorbs a lot of the sh- sugars from the fruit itself, like the sucrose. So you're going to get sometimes these kind of funky flavors, lots of sweetness. It's a, it's a great coffee also for after dinner, I would say, after great Ethiopian food. Cool. Very, very interesting. So what interests me a lot is like how people kind of like get to yeah, what you would call today like third wave coffee. So did you know about it before you started out in the coffee business or did you like run into a coffee shop at one point and then was like, yeah, that's my line of work from now on? Honestly, I had no clue. Like I thought I knew coffee. Like I worked in the film industry, as you mentioned before. And when I was working as a trainee, a big part of my job would be running and getting coffee and making the coffee in the truck. Not super glamorous, I can tell you, but I did serve coffee once to the late Christopher Lee. It was a dreadful capsule coffee. So I'm very ashamed of the coffee, but not of the person I got to serve it to. But yeah, I ended up going and looking for a job and landed in a specialty uh, coffee shop. And it was there that I like really kind of discovered what coffee actually was. And I actually looked up to check because I really wanted to share with you what that coffee was. Like I know we discussed it a little bit in the pre-talk and um, it was this Kilimanjaro AA by an amazing coffee producer called A.D. Battle. She's in El Salvador. She's a fifth generation coffee farmer, kind of like super kick-ass woman. She's been in lots of media for years now, but still year after year produces fantastic coffee. Um, And it was actually roasted at the time by Square Mile, uh, which is a coffee roastery in the UK. But I actually found that here in in Berlin. And like tasting that was eye-opening. I can only... I can only tell you, um, like it had so much flavor, so many, so much complexity. Um, and talking to the baristas there as they like kind of walked me through, like let it cool down a little bit, we taste the cup. I, I was mind blown. I was hooked. That was it for me. Like I knew from that instance that I wanted to learn more about this and it only got better because after that point, I got to jump into learning about um, extracting espresso, also pulling apart espresso machines foaming milk, uh, hand brews, and then later the roasting side of things. So yeah, it was once I was bitten by the book, that was it. No going back. <laughs> yeah, I've, I don't know, to be honest, how it was for me. I can only like remember that I think I heard about like, yeah, third wave coffee shops, the first ones in, in Berlin via Twitter also, funny enough. And like people writing about it and raving about like the great coffee, also about Scrama. And then, um, yeah, I also at one time like visited a um, former colleague in, in Berlin and um, we also went to a shop there. And also, I also tasted a, a squirma. Don't know if it was like the same, the same beans, but yeah. And there, there also I was like, like blown away by how amazing that tasted. And then, yeah. And then for me, the journey started more at home, like with not the right <laughs> equipment back then. Like I still had like uh, this Milita filter, hand filter thingy. So yeah, the extraction was not very good back then. <laughs> well, the Milita was actually invented in Germany. Yeah. yeah. 
it's like you know one of the claim to fames of the uh, kind of when all these different brewing devices were getting invented. Uh, Melito, I think, was also the paper was like the defining moment of it being like a cleaner taste because, of course, a lot of coffee brewing methods involve just having the grinds and the water together for a longer period of time, whereas like with pour over, which is what Melita is, the water is just going through the coffee grinds. Um, and particularly when you add like a paper filter, you're just getting a cleaner taste. There's less oils going through into the final cup. Not a bad choice for a starting point. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that might be true. Just com compare it to, to how I do it today. It's like very simplistic, let's say it that way. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to add, if you don't mind, is um, I think it's really interesting in Germany, actually. I was thinking about this because when I started in coffee, there was only one or two, uh, maybe maybe a couple more uh, specialty coffee shops in Berlin. Uh, and you mentioned, of course, that you'd also been to Berlin to kind of have that experience. But today, I I've lost count. Like, I, there's new specialty coffee shops opening right, left and center in Berlin. And I also know like throughout Germany, it's just becoming more and more of a thing and more and more people are kind of appreciating it and starting to like educate themselves on what coffee is, which is amazing, to be honest. Yeah, it was funny in the beginning, like it was like almost like a treasure hunt, like, okay, where, where is a third wave coffee shop? Where can I, where can I find, find one? And is there one in a city that I might travel to? And yeah, nowadays it's more like, yeah, of course there is some kind of like specialty coffee shop in whatever bigger city you, you go to. So that's, that's a good, good thing, I guess. Yeah, it definitely leaves you a lot of choice. And I think it's also great, like the community has really grown with it as well. Like we have things for quite a few years now, like the Coffee Third Wave Ritzen. I'd probably pronounce it wrong, but it's yeah. like Secret Santa. Yeah, Secret uh, Santa. The German yeah. name for this. And yeah. I think that's so great, like to have that kind of community aspect. Yeah, Third Wave Wichteln um, would be. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that. Um, I also participated in it like several times. Always is like great thing to to get like some random coffee beans from from all over the world. Um, that's really great. So you you already um, like touched upon um, like the work that it goes into coffee coffee a bit, um, like with all the different processing techniques and all that. Maybe you want to like share a bit um, bit more. I think we we touched or we mentioned like natural and washed and all that, but maybe you can like pick apart these words a little bit more, like what it actually means um, for the people who are not like um, yeah, drinking third wave coffee for 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, I can say now that I am a software engineer, a lot of this information is a little rusty. Um, but if you are getting into coffee and you're really interested to know more, um, which I really hope after listening to this you are, I can really recommend the James Hoffman book the coffee atlas because it has it does a really good job of like high level covering all of these topics including brewing and processing uh, and goes into different coffee regions um, and i think it has a second edition now it's also in german i'm pretty sure so that book would be top of the list for me but yeah just to give a rough breakdown when coffee comes off the plant it's a cherry and if you are able to, you would uh, take away all of the fruit flesh away from this and just expose the bean itself. And the way that you would do this is through putting it in a bath with a lot of water so that the kind of uh, fruit flesh is like soaking off it. Um, and this is what we call washed uh, coffee. 
and essentially like it will sit through different baths. There's actually all sorts of different ways uh, to do this um, and all different sorts of variations. It very much depends on, for example, how much access to water you may have, um, but also maybe how much space you have and how much coffee you're actually processing. So washed coffee in general has all of the um, fruit pulp taken away from the bean um, and is then sat in water to kind of like clean it off. Whereas on the other end of the scale, the natural coffee um, will end up just getting dried with the coffee uh, cherry still on it, which means that it kind of soaks up a lot of the sugar and the um, sucrose from the cherry pulp itself. In between is a massive spectrum. All of them include a hell of a lot of labor. Um, and some of it is able to do with machines and some of it in some countries would be done by hand. For example, when I was in Ethiopia, they would spread the beans out. And these were natural processed beans, so they still had the cherry on those, spread them out on big beds that would sit under the sun um, while they were drying. But you have to turn the beans uh, so that you don't have like moisture underneath and uh, dry on the top also because you then are going to risk some sort of like fermentation that you don't want to have in the coffee. There's also all sorts of processing types where you might play with that fermentation and you might introduce it, but then you want to ideally do it intentionally. Um, and that just means having a lot of people out there um, and going through the beans and turning them around and taking out any that are not good, that may have been um, eaten by a pest or may start to show signs of like some sort of uh, disease or mold or something like this. Um, also, you, in the very height of the sun, they have to cover them. And if it rains, they have to cover them. Um, so just like a lot of work goes into it. And after this stage, you also are not finished. After this stage, um, you have to go and um, put it through a machine that will then take off that hardened cherry from the outside uh, and kind of remove this and uh, de-hull the coffee. Um, and that's normally done with a machine uh, that will just like shape the coffee essentially until this comes off. Um, and there is more sitting time after that happens and the green beans the, the war bean gets put into bags and then at this point it's almost ready to go and get uh, exported to whichever consuming country is going to buy it. And then it ends up in, in some roastery, right? And then kind of like what you said, the, the most interesting part um, begins the, the roasting. So, um... Well, I think it's like a bit of a rabbit hole because it's like... I think when you first discover coffee, you're like, oh, this is the most interesting part. Like I can brew my coffee with different temperature water and different uh, water and I have an effect on the taste. And then you realize, well, if you really want to have an effect on the taste, you better start getting involved a bit in the roasting because that has a play on it. But then you realize if you really want to have an effect on the taste, you better get involved with the uh, processing and the growing of the coffee because ultimately if, if the flavors are not in the coffee, it, like the raw product, you will never have them in your cup. <laughs> yeah, a very, very deep, deep rabbit hole. Um, yeah, one, one thing, um, just making this up as I go now, but um, one, one thing which I find like always interesting is when I'm in, in offices, um, like where I work and I usually like bring, bring of course, my, my kind of like filter equipment with me and then and then there are some, um, yeah, of course, always some, some people who don't like brew coffee that way. And then they're like, okay, what are you doing? Why are you putting 
your your server and your filter um, on a scale, and then why do you why do you measure it? When what do you measure? And like the way you pour over the water is that looks so weird. And then I always wonder, like, okay, what do I tell the people now? Like, of course, I'm not not any kind of pro, so I just like picked up this stuff somehow from be it from brewing instructions online or from from some books and um and just found out what worked for me and then stuck to it without actually like understanding like all the chemistry behind it and like does it really make a difference if i pour the water in circles around and and all of this so um yeah do you do you have like similar um situations where you've like yeah maybe also in an office um like do your coffee thing and then people come along and what are you doing there so Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I think it's like it at the end of the day, the coffee you'll enjoy the most is the coffee that you have at that time. And the more you learn, you maybe make your coffee better and more suited to your taste. Um, but it doesn't mean the coffee that you made the day before was like bad. So I think that's the great thing is even if someone says, I don't really want to measure Like I don't want to waste time or for whatever reason they might have, they say, I don't want to measure out the coffee. Um, they can already make a huge improvement maybe to their daily beverage by buying whole beans and just grinding fresh. So it's really about like how, how much you want to go along that path. And for some people that may be the full thing because I'm a scales girl and a timer girl and like, you know, got it all, all set up at home. Um, and For some of the people that may just be like experimenting with a different water and they find something nice for them and they're like, that's great. I think it's, it's always good if people ask questions, no matter what it's about, because it shows they're interested. And I do like that. I do like that aspect of being able to share something that I feel very passionate about with other people. And if they see you starting to prep a brew, uh, they'll come and kind of like stand near you. And it might also be because they just want to have some of the coffee you're making. So be prepared. Um, but also it's kind of like a general interest. I think that's really great. I think for me, I always say like coffee is like baking much more than it is like cooking. So I have a recipe that I follow. I weigh out the coffee grams, I weigh out the water, I time it. If I follow those steps, I know I'll be pretty happy with the brew that I make unless I, you know, sometimes when it's early, I forget the timer or something. Um, if I don't follow those steps and I kind of just go by eye, it's really difficult for me to like reproduce the coffee I know that I like. So uh, the problem with uh, doing it maybe by eye or by volume opposed to by weight is that depending on the freshness of the coffee, it can have a vast difference to how it reacts when you pour the water in there. Um, so while you might believe you're putting the same amount of water in, once you start using a scale, you'll realize that's just probably not true. Yeah. So what, what I always like tell people or my answer to the question, like, why do you weigh stuff? Like, why do you use a scale? Is that like, I'm trying to control like, The, the ratio of water and, and, and beans basically um, and to have that always like at, at least have this this variable like like pinned down like even if I can't like pin down like the quality of the water all the time and um, yeah my palate is not good enough anyway to taste that but um, 
yeah, so these are like the the easiest like variables to control, like for me and um then it also gets really fun because you get to taste the difference between the coffees. Uh, so like if you have that initial consistency, I, I am a big believer that I think people can taste the difference. Your palate is like something that you need to train. Um, but so I like, you know, okay, maybe not the minute nuances. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I do believe like no matter what your beverage is, like if you like Milch Cafe or you like Latte, I think you still taste the difference if I put a different express, espresso in there, you know, or like if you, you kind of taste the difference between a natural process or a, a washed coffee, I think a lot of people side by side will taste the difference there. So if you have a little consistency and then you buy a new bag beans, I think then you get the real benefit because you really get to see what the difference is. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I was just smiling when you said like um, people can taste the difference because it, it like almost reminded me or not almost, it reminded me of this typical programmer, non-programmer thing, like where some people believe like programmers is something that you, that is a, like an innate talent that you yeah either bring with you and you're born with it which of course is total bullshit but um yeah either you're born with it or or you know, like the other yeah people say like of course it's a, something that you can train and yeah i like that a, that a lot is <laughs> um yeah of course everything can can be trained um in a certain way and in the end it boils down to like how much effort how much training effort you want to put in um and yeah if if people are based in Berlin, I'm not sure about other cities, but I could confidently or I could find it out and pass you the link on. Um, but I know that quite a few of the roasteries and cafes in Berlin will host uh, cuppings from time to time, which is essentially a coffee tasting. And they're normally free as well, which means like a free chance to go and see if you can taste the difference. What more would you like? Um, but the big difference here is you taste the coffee side by side. And they're all brewed in the same way. So exactly what we're talking about of like having that consistency in the brew method and having the coffee really shine through. And if you have a, like a table with like five different coffees on ranging from different origins and different processes, then I, I, I really, yeah, I'm yet to find someone who said they tasted no difference in those coffees. Um, I used to run the cuppings where I worked and yeah, like this was a real joy because you got to really kind of see people have that discovery moment of like noticing the different flavors within the coffee. Um, and it's, it's a ritual actually in itself. So when you asked me about rituals, that was probably the one I should have also mentioned it. You know, we take cup, like little round bowls, we grind the coffee, you smell it, you take in the aromas, uh, we pour water on the coffee you smell it again, you take in the aromas. We do this thing called breaking, which is where you take a spoon and you uh, push it across the top, which basically knocks the coffee grinds down so they sink to the bottom. And this stops the extraction to a certain extent. Um, and yeah, this is, you know, like that's the piste de resistance when you get to like break the coffee uh, cups. And then we taste it, of course. Um, normally spitting it out, a bit like wine tasting because that's a lot of coffee you're going to consume uh, and also you're really encouraged to taste it more than once so as i mentioned before like tasting it as it cools down and seeing how the flavor profile develops 
it's a wonderful experience. Like I highly recommend anyone um, who are in these cities that have third wave roasteries to write them and say, you do any sort of coffee, coffee tasting. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I want to go back to, to one thing that you said, said earlier where you, um, I really like the, your humbleness when you talked about like, um, like everybody, yeah, can, can taste a difference. Everybody has a different, um, yeah, trained palate um, and, and all that. And, um, and again, there, there, there was like a, like a parallel to, to tech in there for me as, uh, at least in, in that there, there is some people, some developers, um, who really want to convince everybody that their way of doing things is like the right way. And, um, like they're a passion, maybe too passionate about the topic a bit. Um, and, um, yeah. And then there are others who are like, okay, here, here's the thing, make your own decision. Um, and, Yeah, I, I can imagine that. Yeah, there are probably also these kinds of people in the coffee business who are like, okay, either you drink your Ethiopian natural beans in this way, um, or yeah, you're out here. Out here. Absolutely. Like, I mean, there's a fine line uh, for sure, um, and I think sometimes you know those lines or those boundaries need to be pushed a little bit. Um, For instance, the cafe I worked in uh, would not serve hand-brew uh, coffee with milk, um, which for some people was like very controversial um, and they really did not enjoy or want to be told that they uh, could not have this coffee with milk. Now, we had an entire menu of coffees with milk, so it was not that they couldn't have coffee and milk, but for this particular hand-brew, um, we were kind of using the product to really try and connect people to coffee and to the origin of coffee and the producers of coffee because they definitely do not get highlighted enough uh, in the consumer realm of coffee. Um, so we would even make these brews and hand out bits for free to people, um, but we kind of kept very strict to the point of saying we're, we're not going to serve it with milk because um, we really want you to have this experience. That's what this coffee is about. Like we have an entire menu of milk drinks um, that you, that you could offer, that you could have as an alternative. Um, of course it was controversial because some people wanted to come in and, you know, push, push those boundaries. But I think that was good. Um, I think where it can kind of go in this direction and I have also, um, not truly experienced, but heard about it in software development, uh, is where people start to kind of go down this route of thinking in absolutes of like, you know, this is the only way to drink coffee or uh, this is the only way to prepare coffee. And I mean, with coffee, it's such a subjective um, realm, but like, it's just not true. Like, I think every coffee is like a really interesting topic because I think it is one that, almost everyone can say something about, even if what they say is, I don't like coffee. Um, it, you know, it's kind of like in all of our lives and there's definitely reasons for that. But I kind of feel like it's something that is just precious to the individuals and not something that we can, uh, you know, kind of dictate or um, push on people. Um, I just think it, For me, with coffee, in that aspect, it was and is still about sharing a passion and, and kind of like trying to highlight a different aspect of it. Um, so saying like, yeah, I mean, I know you've been drinking coffee for 20 years or 40 years or however many years, 
uh, but have you tried this great new thing? Um, and that's the moments I love of like those people that come in uh, maybe expecting one thing and then you get to turn them around uh, in a different direction. And by the end of the week, they're only drinking black filter coffee. Yeah. I mean, these, these are like, um, like the fairy tales almost, um, like where people, where you turn people around like that, that much. Um, but I, I, it happens, I assume you, it happens yeah. more, more than fairy tales. <laughs> okay. That that's great to hear. That's great to hear. Um, yeah. Most of the time. I'm very I'm, persuasive. <laughs> so <laughs> if you say so, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm very content. Like if people like at least try, try it black, like whenever, like, in office setting, for example, again, um, yeah, people come come by, walk walk past my my brewing, and then they just taste it, and I can somehow tell them like, okay, it's it's gonna be different. Please don't shy away just yet, but just try it. Yeah. So um, yeah, as we as we already kind of like uncovered, um, like detectives. Um, so there are some some parallels, right, between. Um, working in tech and working as a barista or generally in the coffee business. Um, you've been working as a developer in like for, or let's say you're in the tech scene for, for yeah, somewhere between three and four years, probably. Um, okay. Let's say, <laughs> let's say three years. <laughs> and um, so what, what are other things or what are other aspects um, that you like could take or take with you from the coffee coffee business into tech? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think this is the thing of being a career changer. And like the first time I just swapped out from uh, film and television and then went into coffee uh, and then almost the same with this move too is like you kind of have that fear that you have nothing to take with you. Um, so you're just bringing nothing to the table or like just so much less to the table than someone who has maybe um, done a computer science degree, um, for example. But I think like for sure this is not true. It was not true for myself. It was not true for many of the talented uh, developers that I know in the industry. Um, it's, it's just kind of like that imposter syndrome. For me, one of the real strengths, um, I think, have been my communication skills. Like, I would spend a whole day almost in a cafe talking to people, having to navigate what their order was, um, then also maybe talking to them a bit about the coffee, uh, while also then on the other threads, uh, you know, keeping an eye on cleaning the coffee and uh, cleaning the cafe and kind of making sure everything was running smoothly. Um, so it's like programming, but in real life, <laughs> like on a different level, it's problem solving. It's, you know, different syntax, but underlying kind of issues can be the same of like, I, you know, um, have too many cups stacked up in the dishwasher area. So like my memory is out because I need more cups on the machine. Uh, how do I get those cups? Well, I have to free up some memory. So there's, there's actually lots of parallels that you just don't see coming um, until you make a changeover. Uh, but I would say communication skills is like by far the strongest in there because as developers, it's not just about sitting down and coding. And um, it's about being able to talk through those processes and also talk through those processes with people who are coming at it from completely different angles. So talking to a product manager, 
um, about a code implementation at a higher level uh, and then maybe also explaining the same thing to a colleague that is a developer at a lower level, um, I think you start to kind of build those skills um, in that kind of job. And yeah, I think with any, any work, having work experience anywhere is really valuable because it's amazing like when you turn up on the job how much you can just like having the aptitude to just kind of get stuck in um is like valued and i think a lot of us think it's really about these hard skills it's about having a computer science degree it's about knowing all the latest languages um or being like super techie uh, for lack of a better word. And I just don't think that's true. I think with programming, I foresee it as a, a space that should be a lot more inclusive and a lot more opening to a lot more people because it would be incredibly beneficial also for the industry. Um, and I think there's a multitude of reasons why that unfortunately is not yet the case. Um, but I think that's, yeah, it's an exciting direction to go in. That's why I like the community work. Because just seeing those people come into the community uh, with all these different backgrounds and stories is just, it's very rewarding. Yes. So obviously, um, so for listeners of this podcast, so everything that you just said, like full, full lack, um, <laughs> of course. Um, maybe you want to share a little bit more about that um, community work that you're doing, like, um, I think you you already um, or I said in the beginning that you describe yourself as community taught as as well as self taught. Um, so what did you what what kind of like community did you start out in and what did you like how did you experience that or what did you experience there? Yeah, um, yeah, I do use the phrase self taught slash community taught, which I absolutely stole from. Uh, an amazing guy called Daniel Rios, who's part of the Django community. Um, but it really sums up for me exactly what that experience was. Um, when I started wanting to learn to code, uh, it's a bit later in life. I wasn't sure about going back to university, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I ended up at a meetup, a PyLadies meetup, um, and just being blown away by the fact that that was an opportunity to have free education, a free bottle of I don't know, Fritz Cola and a piece of pizza in the evening. And then meet all of these uh, like very inspirational people who were kind of on a similar journey or already uh, working in tech. Um, and at the time they were looking for co-organizers, which I kind of felt like, oh, I mean, I know about four lines of Python. I can't possibly be an organizer for this community. Um, but I also had a lot of time on my hands and I've done event organization in other kind of areas of my life. So um, I stepped up and um, joined the organizing team, which I think was super rewarding for me. Uh, it gave me the opportunity to like really get to know some of the uh, people in the community, um, but also give back. And uh, I think like running a community group is so much work and almost always, I would say, voluntary. Um, so I really have a lot of appreciation and respect for people that give their time uh, to this kind of uh, work because it is work um, and it takes lots of different aspects. So you need lots of different skill sets. Um, probably knowing Python or knowing the language of the community is the smallest <laughs> skill that you actually need. Um, but obviously it's a great way to learn. 
And uh, I think, you know, the opportunities to learn from being in the community and then also the opportunity to network a bit, meet different companies, see what this developer thing could look like for me um, was just, it just emboldened me a lot to say, oh, no, this is the right path and I, I have to keep doing this. And um, yeah, I really don't know if I would have made it as far as I have without the community support behind me. And I think it's, you know, where possible, it's really important to give back and support other people that are coming up behind you. Um, so it's something I like very proactively try to uh, make space and like make opportunities for other people to also fill the space. Beautiful. Um, just, just beautiful. Also, um, like, um, yeah, what you just said, like how you describe how community organizing or running a community is so much more than just like knowing a language. And, and that again, is like a perfect metaphor for tech work or software development work. Um, and it, it, again, in itself, like there's so much more work um, going into like creating a solution, solving a problem, creating software than just like the, the actual yeah the actual activity of typing out letters into an editor um or id or whatever um yeah so um amazing um that was super super interesting um and um i learned a lot again um also about coffee so there's always more to learn um yeah any anything else that you want to share with the listeners um, yeah, I have a few things. I'll do them as like with breaths in between in case you <laughs> want to cut them. Um, <laughs> uh, so the first thing I'd like to give a shout out to, um, a friend of mine, James, who has a podcast called, uh, Filter Stories. It's a really interesting podcast, um, focused on marginalized coffee farmers and telling their stories. Some of the stories also talk about baristas. Um, but I think it's like a really insightful look at some of the issues that actually exist today in the speciality coffee world. Then I'd also... Um, <laughs> Please don't do any pauses. <laughs> no? Okay. No, okay. no, it's not necessary. It's, it's cool to plug these things. <laughs> <laughs> I also really wanted to plug this amazing... Um, comp or actually just this amazing coffee roaster that I came across called Candice Madison. Uh, she works for Royal Coffee as the director of roasting, um, and they have fantastic webinars that I can highly recommend. Um, I think she is really pushing for open education around coffee, and I think that is also one of the issues that we have in tech is around gatekeeping um, and thinking that information is only worthy of being given to certain groups of people. Um, coffee is very much like that. Like a lot of the books um, around coffee can be quite expensive or you need to pay for courses. Um, and I think we see that generally in like the people who actually have the opportunity to open roasteries or get to a roasting position. And what she's doing also with another woman, Julia Han, um, is sharing that knowledge openly and free. And I think that is really awesome. Um, and that's with Royal Coffee Roasters. Cool. Thank you. Um, thank you again also for the plugs. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just like, if people are really into learning about coffee, there's so many great resources. And I just, 
I, I really, these two I feel very strongly about because I think um, it's, it's really important that this movement, as it gains traction, uh, gives a platform to the people who um, put in like so much work, but also underrepresented uh, and don't have as much of a platform in in coffee industry as maybe like some of the top baristas or top roastery owners um and i think like that that's something for me that is still missing in that dynamic um and i think that's what third wave coffee has really started to try to do by like highlighting coffee roast uh, coffee producers um and talking more about coffee in terms of wine to like kind of elevate it um which yeah might mean that you end up paying uh, a bit more than um, the Speckkauf coffee that you buy. But at the end of the day, like if that money is indeed going back to producers and building like a sustainable business for them, then it's worth it's worth more than every penny. Um, but that's us as consumers, like that's our responsibility to ensure that we are looking for places that um, do direct trade um, and like do that in a meaningful way. So they are ensuring sustainable business for the coffee producers that they work with. Um, and I think we, we as consumers should question that, not just for coffee, but also for coffee. <laughs> yeah. And for the people and the humans. So very much again, we're back in tech and humans and this this kind of like topic of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you again, Jessica. That was amazing. Like super interesting. So many insights for me. Um, and um, yeah, just wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you.